funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of 2024 here at the Silver Screen Video with your host, Jonathan and Jacob, as usual. Jacob, how's it going? Has the new year started off uh, in a bang for you? You know, how's things in New York? Things are good. I, uh, you know, I didn't do anything special for uh, for New Year's, but I could hear the fireworks from my house. Um don't remember that from last year, and uh, it was kind of kind of annoying to be honest because they went on for like half an hour. Uh, My neighbors, a lot of them, decided to shoot off fireworks because I am asleep by midnight, and not because of my age. I've always been that way. I don't give a fuck about New Year's, but I thought about going outside with a baseball bat. But then I thought that's a bad idea. So, but it was very <laughs> annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's imagine that, but just it sounds like a thunderstorm going off. Uh, for you know a half hour um yeah that's that uh, sounds terrible it's like it sounds like uh bombs going off or something that would be very disconcerting yeah and people like like i had family back home who were like you gonna go watch the ball drop and i'm just like no oh yeah it's... with the million other people in Times square <laughs> well that's what's funny they're all like you're gonna go do it and i'm just like uh no like that's for tourists and so many people and blah 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 and then when i when i heard like all the fireworks going off i was like i should have went and saw the ball drop like <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty cool dude how many people are in times square man like i just can't oh. even wrap my head around the amount of drunk assholes stumbling about also they like they like lock you in pins and like jesus you, you like don't have access to like bathrooms or whatever like like legit people wear like fucking diapers to do that shit Oh, that sounds totally worth it. You can tell your grandkids you watch the ball drop. <laughs> you could, well, I, you know, and honestly, like the ball is on top of one of the Times Square buildings. So, I mean, more than likely, you're not even really going to see it. You know, you're just going to kind of know vicariously that it's dropping. Well, uh, in my opinion, I made the right call by not going. Thanks, man. Thanks for validating my choices. <laughs> but listen. Look, we don't have time for this. Okay, we don't have time for you to go on long tangents about Ink Master or whatever other <laughs> shit you're watching. This is the new year. This is a big episode. We are changing things around here. Like, I'm going to start being calm, cool, collected. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be as opinionated. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go with the flow. Okay? And this right, is the and prime I'm gonna start, example. Well, and I'm going to start sounding like I didn't just take a sleeping pill. Oh, you know? perfect. Look, we're all making quote unquote resolutions here, people. Right, so, right. Um, anyway, we do have a big episode this week uh, that we are actually doing something I don't think we've ever done here at the Silver Screen Video. We are talking about not just multiple movies, which is not uncommon, but we are talking about all recent movies. Every movie we're discussing came out in the year 2023. So that is a real change of pace for us here at the old classic Hollywood Silver Screen Video. Yeah, kind of a, a year in review a little bit. And uh, not just this episode, we're going to be doing a couple of these. So uh, be on the lookout for kind of our uh, little recap of the year in film. You know, there's been a lot of, I feel like there's been a lot of movies come out this year that 
you know, regardless of whether they've been good or not, they've, they've like touted themselves as kind of like awards bait or like end of the year, or I don't know, it's just been a big year for like big releases. And so, uh, so yeah, I figured it'd be uh, a good idea for us to, uh, to, uh, I don't know, just kind of recap the year in review and, uh, culminated in our, in our top 10 list for the end of the year. Yeah, no, I, I agree about this year being a pretty good, last year, I should say, being a pretty good year for movies. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to kind of talk about them a little more in detail while we build our top 10 that we're going to release at the end of the month. So uh, let's jump into it, man, with the movie you just watched that I watched um, a few months ago and talked about it on the podcast, uh, Bottoms from uh, the great Rachel Sinnott. And it's uh, directed by Emma Seligman. And uh, it's two unpopular uh, queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation. And if that synopsis does not just pull you in, I don't know what will. Uh, But anyway, I've already said my piece on it. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I want to watch it again. It may or may not be on my top 10. I haven't decided. Tell us what you thought, man. I loved it. I loved Bottoms. Um, the thing that struck me the most was because or it was like I was expecting this to be, you know, kind of like super bad. Like, remember when Booksmart came out, they were like, it's super bad for girls, you know, and it basically was. It basically follows that kind of, you know, Apatovian, uh, uh, you know, template or whatever. But the thing that is wild about Bottoms is that it takes place in this like magic, magical realist, like, like, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but like people die and it's like funny. (laughs) Like it's, you know, it's really, really strange. It's like a complete, you know, what it reminds me of is um, the, um, the lonely Island movie. And the reason it reminds me of that is because it is a tone and a, uh, I guess a tone, a, a comedic tone that is so unique and so different and fresh and vibrant, you know? Um, and uh, it was awesome. It was hilarious. I mean, they, you know, the Rachel Senate and I don't know how to say her name, but she's in the bear. She's great. Do you know how to say her name? Ayo. I don't, but she is great. I'm going to say Ayo Edabiri. Okay, Sure. Uh, we'll go with that. And if she's listening, she can uh, slide into the DMs and correct us. Um, yeah, Please yeah, no, it. it's <laughs> it's a uh, it's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, really hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't even I mean, I don't even really know what to say beyond that. There's just like a, well, a cartoony kind of kind of vibe to it, you know, th- that really is unique. And I, I just yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I have a theory about bottoms and this, I'm not going to say this represents the silver screen video. Cause what I'm about to say is a little out there, but okay, this is one of your insane, like movie theories, right? Uh, no, it's about, it's about the real world that this movie exists in like our world, the one we're living in. Um, (laughs) so book smart comes out and everyone, fucking loves it including me i loved it and i and i know that movie like whatever reputation what i don't give a shit i thought it was hilarious i've seen it multiple times laugh my ass off but 
I'm going to have to use like words I don't like to use here to, to get my point across. Booksmart fit more into that woke category. Like they were empowering each other. Like it was, it was kind of mm. straight laced in terms of how the characters were communicating. Okay. Right. Everybody loved it. Like everybody praised Olivia. Wow. Blah, blah. I'm not trying to take away the praise. I love the movie still do. But what I am going to do is kind of like, we're going to switch that narrative to bottoms. Bottoms is a very against woke type. There's a lot of language in this movie that they get away with saying it, it's more realistic in my opinion, like in terms of how people talk and how like the world works. Mm, right. And this movie got pretty much no love in terms of like any press or anything. And in my opinion, as a, a movie directed by a woman starring a very talented crew of women, it's getting kind of pushed aside when you compare it to Booksmart, and I think it's because of the material. I do think they're like, oh, no, this doesn't fit into our narrative, so we can't treat this the way we treat it Booksmart. And I think they're doing the movie a great disservice, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's how I feel about it. No, I think that's true. I think that's true. Booksmart got a lot of um, a lot of the praise for being, you know, well, girls can be sex hungry high school students too. And it's like, well, okay, sure. Cool. Like, and I enjoyed book smart as well, but bottoms flat out feels like it's from another dimension. Like, like it is. Oh yeah. It's nuts, man. Like it is it, the vibe that movie captures and just the way Rachel Sennett talks and like the way AO Edabiri kind of plays off of her, the way the principal communicates with them, like throwing in Marshawn Lynch, the whole yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. world is incredible in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, and the whole, the the woke stuff, I know exactly what you're talking about. Whereas like Booksmart leans into that and has a real uh, millennial sensibility for lack of a better word. Um, whereas uh, uh, Bottoms is really just kind of zany and all over the place and really kind of, you know, like the the moments where they do like get serious and are like, well, actually, what is really telling about the movie is that the the characters use kind of like, you know, woke language, like about trauma and empowering women and, and all of these sort of things. The, the movie uses those as nothing but punchlines, right? Like, it, like all the sincere moments, the only sincere moments are about the friendship between the two main characters. All the other, like, allegedly sincere moments are just a punchline waiting to happen or building up a punchline or a gag or whatever. But I know? have to note, it never does that at the expense of the actual people. It never punches down. In right. my opinion, it goes with the flow and kind of, like I said, it feels more realistic. Like you can be queer and you don't have to fit in this fucking box that you're trying to be. They're trying to force you into kind of thing. I don't right. know, man, the movie felt really punk rock. I know that gets thrown around a lot, but that was the one thing that kind of, I went into the movie theater when I went and saw it. And I was just like, this is like something I, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie like this. It's just, it's got, this movie has balls, man. Like I, I thought it was just really fucking cool. Uh, a whole new voice in comedy, I think. And I will say this as someone who liked Shiva baby, um, there's nothing in that movie that indicates that uh, Emma Seligman is, was capable of this. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it really is. It really is a special movie. I really enjoyed it. And uh, 
I don't know, man. We we need more of this. We need more movies from her. We need more Rachel Sennett in our life. Like, it's uh, yeah, it was great. I agree. And while we're talking about Sennett, I'll go ahead and throw out bodies, bodies, bodies. If you can get past some of the insufferable dialogue, that movie really is funny. And Rachel Sennett fucking kills it in that movie. And see, that's that's another example of like, you know, with the whole Pete Davidson thing, and it's just like. It's just, it doesn't, this millennial shit is getting stale, you know what I mean? And there's no movie that recognizes that more than Bottoms, I feel like. Like, it really feels like something just completely new and incredible. And, uh, yeah, it's great. I I think you're right. I think it is, there's something wrong with, like, the, with Bottoms not getting the kind of press attention it deserves. You know, um, I agree. It fucking pisses me off because, I mean, the movie came out in August next to no it made some money, but it pretty much got no press. It got a lot of love, but we know, you know, as well as I do, critical love and stuff like that doesn't generate to money, doesn't generate to word of mouth a lot of the time. So um, I think I it's, you know, I, I really, truly think it's um, it might be a generational thing, like, honestly, like, I think we might be kind of at, at at a generational shift here where millennial culture is becoming kind of the dominant culture, you know, whereas like when we were growing up, you know, baby boomer culture was still, you know, was still, uh, 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 like a dominant, uh, even though, you know, baby boomers were getting very old, but like, you know, this millennial culture, I feel like has reached its, its absolute apex, which also, means it's stale by the time it's reached it's you know barbie i think is a perfect example of that you know taylor swift being basically the the most uh like successful uh touring musician in the history of the world you know like i feel like we've reached a point where like there's so many millennials out there and we have such a stranglehold on the culture and to see something like bottom succeed it's such a unique. I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's Emma Seligman may be in a millennial. I don't know, but it doesn't feel like it's part of mainstream culture in the same way that like Booksmart or Lady Bird or any of that stuff does. Like, it feels like it's speaking to an entirely different generation who doesn't really care about any woke millennial bullshit, and that's exciting. And I think that's part of the reason why the movie isn't getting a lot of the attention that it deserves, even even though it is a great movie. Yeah, I mean, so guys, go watch it. It's on streaming right now. I think it's streaming for free at like MGM, but you can also rent it on Amazon. Um, We ready to move on to our next one? Let's do it. So this one is a movie uh, that may or may not be on my top 10. I can tell you whose top 10 it won't be on, yours. It's called Dreamin' Wild. It is a true story, based on a true story from the makers of Love and Mercy. Also a great movie. Uh, musical duo Donnie and Joe Emerson spend everything they have to produce a record in the 70s. And that's not really the whole story. The record like comes back into play modern day because some record producer likes it and then he wants them to re-record and go on tour. And the two brothers, are 30 years has passed. So there's a lot that's happened and transpired since then. But the movie uh, uh, goes back and forth between timelines. I love this movie. I I, I, I loved it as soon as I... From the first fucking five minutes of this movie, I, I fell in love with it. Um, but you, however, did not like it. 
I'll say this: if this is not in your, if this is not on your top ten list, I will be mad at you for making me watch this. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I don't think this is a necessarily a hateable movie. Um, it's just nothing really happens, you know what I mean? And I think I don't even think that's uh, that's not even a product of me not liking it. It is like it just kind of is a movie where nothing happens, kind of just pure vibes, you know. Um, but the vibes I just don't particularly care about. Like, you know, the producer comes back in or the, or the record executive comes back in and is like, Hey guys, your record is an underground hit. Let's tour it or whatever. And let's, let's, let's reprint it or, you know, whatever. And it's like, cool. And then like, that just, that's just kind of it, you know, like Casey Affleck is mad for some reason. I mean, I mean, I know that I'm being, I'm being, you know, cheeky. I know the reason it's because, he feels like he's wasted his life, but it's like, dude, something unambiguously good is happening to you. Like chill out. You know, I found myself like reacting that way to the character. Um, Walton. Well, I mean, it's clear. It's clear. His character had some, some issues though, to do, to go along with the struggling artist, to go along with the fact that you did feel like you were great, but you feel like the world's passed you by. And, and sorry to cut you off, but with Walton Goggins, I felt, he realized he's not good enough and he so he really admits that um but that's something else that character has to come to terms with so it's like you have you have these battling ideologies at at each end of the spectrum right that's true that's true um but i get it i mean i dude this movie for me was all vibes i love it i love the story i love most things about music that's why i love love, love and mercy I did not think you would dislike it as much as you seem to, but I do understand it. Like I haven't even seen this movie pop up on anyone's list. I don't even know how watched this movie is. I don't know where this movie came from. I just put it on because it had Walton Goggins and Casey Affleck and it was about music. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll say this. I, I maybe was a little <laughs> in over text message. I was exaggerating a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I, I would have rather watched a documentary about this than an actual movie. And I also like, I can see that. Also like Walton Goggins character is the, that's the guy, you know what I mean? Like that's the guy you make the movie about. I feel like, because he's the one who, you know, <clears throat> basically just kind of played the drums and wasn't that involved in the record. And now they're wanting to turn these two brothers into something. And it's like, well, you know, it was really just kind of a, a one act thing. And, you know, I don't know. I I just felt like, um, I felt like there just wasn't much of a movie there. If that makes sense. Well, I, I agree with you about the Walton Goggins character, but on the other hand, I think that the scene, this isn't a spoiler really. Uh, there is a kind of a kind of a blink and you'll miss it scene that I believe kind of says why the movie's not based on his character, because his character never feels seen or heard when he's talking to the reporter about building a house for someone he loved and she's not with them anymore. And as soon as he goes to tell, as soon as he says that, which should open the door up as a reporter, that should really be like, oh, man, I got to This is like adding layers to the to the artistry um the dad's like leaving to go deliver something and he's like oh you gonna make the drive blah 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 blah. and he's like oh yeah and it's like he just completely blows past it and i think to to uh, to a certain degree that's how that brother felt 
for most of his life. And honestly, I feel like when Casey Affleck goes off on him in the room, that pretty much confirms it. Like he, he never really felt like he belonged. He never really felt, he always knew the brother was better. And so did the dad. So I don't, I don't know, man. I loved it. I don't know. I, I think all that stuff is there, but for me, I was just like, I don't know too much, too much footage of Casey Affleck just kind of staring off into the distance, you know, <laughs> like that has become a problem that that that's becoming a problem with him in the same way. Like Tom Hardy's bit is becoming a problem for him. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah. And same with Ryan Gosling, but I think playing Ken kind of like broke him out of that mold, but he was in it for a while. No, I agree. Like some of these actors, they get, <clears throat> they get in their, um, in their like most comfortable mode and they just i don't know man it's like you know the movie that's like this is um ain't them bodies saints have you ever seen that movie yeah i'm not the biggest fan of that movie yeah that, that's another one man where it's just like dude you can tell Affleck is just mailing it in like he's just like just kind of walking around doing his his the same routine he did for the coward robert ford but like it doesn't work for every role you know And I'll tell you who I think maybe getting close to it is old Joaquin, but that's for a conversation later in the episode. (laughs) Yeah, you can pump the fucking brakes. I've already broken my New Year's (laughs) resolution. You can pump the brakes on that shit out of the gate. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, man. So I'm I'm sorry you didn't like it, but yeah, it is going to be on my top 10. I'm still trying to figure out placement, but guys, it's streaming right now on Amazon. So check it out. If you if you are into music or if you're familiar with the true story, like check it out. I mean, it may be for you. It's a good vibes movie. It's like an hour and a half. Like, it's fine. I think it's like an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, something like that. That ending, though, that ending was great. That seamless transition. It. I watched it, and like, I was so close to kind of tearing up. It kind of, uh, I really liked how they did that. You were so close to tearing up, and then you said, shove it back in, Johnson. Uh, no, and actually, don't use that phrasing. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, well, um, we also should mention you're, you're a music guy. So, I mean, you know, it's like, you're a sucker for like music biopics or anything about like live music. You know, I feel like you're, you're, that you're already kind of half in the bag for, I am. And, and, you know, you know, and there's, there's a few, there's a couple of things, um, that fall into that category, you know, for, for some certain people and like sports movies, you know, mm. uh, true story, sports movies. Like I'm pretty much, I'm there. Like I'll go, I'll see it. Like just, just put it on because that shit normally checks a few boxes at least. Um, yeah, no, i obviously have my, uh, little peccadillos like that, but the music is, yeah, the, I like, I, as soon as I, when I saw it and I saw them like playing live, I was like, I know John loves this, but like, I'm just, I, I feel nothing. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm, I'm dead inside. But yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, if you if you're out there and you're you're like John, you're kind of a music uh, music fan. You like music docs or music biopics. This one, uh, this one's for you. I'll tell you that right now. So I am going. This is your episode. I'm going to let you pick which four we go into first uh, of our of our big of our big ones that we're going to the guys today up today's episode might run a little long, but we got a lot of stuff to cover. So let's, let's do it. Let's, you know what, since we just mentioned Joaquin, let's just dive right into Bo is afraid. Oh, perfect. Cause I'm lacing up my boxing gloves for this one, brother. <laughs> Forget the new year's resolution. It's fucking on right now. 
Bo is Afraid is a borderline masterpiece. And if someone watched it, and I'm talking to all you people out there who like said, Ari Aster wasted A24's money. Why the fuck would he make this movie with $40 million? Blah, blah, blah. You cannot like the movie, but that crossed the line. And if you thought that, you don't know how to watch movies. And frankly, you shouldn't be allowed to. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> dude, I'm coming, sorry. Coming I, out I came, fucking loaded. I came in hot on that one because I, dude, I got, and clearly to the general movie watcher, if you don't like this movie, that's perfectly understandable. I'm not judging anyone except for fucking critics, man. I'm just thinking, dude, all of the, all of the anger and, and, and the shit that we had to hear about Babylon and then we watched it and you loved it and I liked it. And then I watch Bo is Afraid and I'm thinking about the same fucking people, which I won't name names, uh, but some critics that we like, some people that we've had on here before are just fucking bashing it all. Like, and it's like, dude, I'm sorry if you, you can dislike it, but if you feel that way, you're watching movies wrong. Mm. And I don't even think you like this movie, but I can assure you, I don't think you're, I'm almost guarantee you're not going to be like, oh, he wasted their fucking money. Like, he's not trying to say shit with this. He just wasted three hours of my fucking time. Oh, my God. No, don't. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm glad he wasted A24's money. You know, like, it's awesome. Well, I don't mean that. That's the cynicism talking. But I'm talking about in reality with making the film. Like, I don't think that's another thing. Why are you taking the corporation side, people? Like, I'm sorry. Right. Is A24's financial situation really affecting you that much? Right. Look, Dude, I'm coming in a little hot on this one, and I'm sorry, but I no, was no, no, very no. Angry. no, but I, I think the point is well, t- or the point is well taken, and and I think well said though. It's that like if 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 we're not incurred, like you take Ari Aster, right? He's directed two good movies. I think we can all agree. And if he is taking thirty five million dollars, which by the way is not that much fucking money, all right, everybody chill out. You know, thirty five million. Is a drop in the bucket compared, you know, to some of the other bullshit we we got going on in the old Hollywood industry. You know, like everybody settled down. Um, but if you can take a big chunk of money and get a three hour long, uh, I'll just say it, incomprehensible movie uh, made like that's basically just this director's fantasy. That's awesome. You should be rooting for that. Like, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? It's exactly that's the kind of shit i'm talking about like you cannot like it right and you can be like fuck man i didn't get this movie it doesn't make any fucking sense whatever but to be mad that a creator was able to do something so insane on camera like this and took a studio's money a studio mind you that read this script and was like yep this is it we need to to do this and I'm saying that as someone who fucking loved this movie. I was taken in from the first the first five minutes of this movie. I said out loud, this movie owns. Like, this This is, I, I'm on board with whatever Aster wants to do. And I'm not an Aster fanboy. I do think Hereditary is a little overrated. And I do like Midsommar. But I like his style more than his substance, typically. But this might be his most substance-filled movie. I believe this caps off his little trilogy that he's made about like no, no pun intended hereditary pain and what we get from our parents, like what we get from loved ones. Like, dude, I don't know. There's so much about this movie 
that I fucking loved. And honestly, I'm a little shocked you're not on board with me on this one. I'm shocked and I'm hurt. <laughs> okay. Well, let's 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 put down some terms. Let's 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 define some terms here and just kind of, you know, talk about Bo is afraid a little bit. Okay. So, for anybody who doesn't know, uh and this movie didn't exactly light up the you know, the social media world, so you would be forgiven for not knowing. Joaquin Phoenix is a man named Bo. Uh, and this movie is three hours long and basically Bo's mom dies and he is trying to get back for her funeral. And he goes through a surreal odyssey that the only thing I can really think to compare it to is like a late Fellini film. Like I, I thought a lot about Juliet of the spirits or like, um, Felina Satyricon, a movie we talked about on here one time, um, I think is a decent comparison where he's going through a kind of um, surreal world that really only makes sense in the mind of the creator. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of shit going on. Um, Now, I, I will say this regarding my reaction to it. I think it's cool that Ari Aster got to do this. I think it's cool he he took a big swing. Um, I think it's cool he spent $35 million of A24's money. Uh, I think it's cool he got a big actor on board for this. That's awesome. I'm sure that helped get this thing made. Um, He's starring now, in his next movie as well. Oh, okay. Um, that being said, two things are handicapping this movie for me. One of them is the whole mom thing. Like, dude, I, I'm not going to get into it. But, you know, anything that has anything to do with men and their moms uh, not treating them okay is not going to be something that I uh, really enjoy the vibes of. Right. And I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that stuff triggers me, quote unquote, when it's when the whole movie is about that and it's three hours long. Maybe it does, you know, (laughs) Um, another thing that is really kind of a, a turnoff for me is just his bow is not only is bow is afraid, Bo is anxious and paranoid and, uh, he gets, he, he gets into these situations that honestly are like nightmares that I've had. Like, I'm not kidding. Like I really like the beginning, the first like 30 minutes of this movie, I've almost had beat for beat a nightmare about this. Like, it is like one long stress dream that is just deeply uncomfortable now. So I get, I say that to say that I am, I am like inherently biased against this movie, right? I am. I, I like, it has all the stuff that makes me not enjoy just the content of the movie. Now I'm not, that's not me saying anything bad about the movie even, right? That's just, I'm, I'm just claiming my biases up front. Now that being said, I do think there's a lot going on here, but I had a difficult time, I guess, because of those biases, you know what I mean? Like, and I hate to say that, but it's just true. Like I probably would have, you know, been able to like pick apart these different scenes and what different shit, you know, represents and, you know, kind of gotten up to what he's doing, but dude, just the mom shit and the him, basically just enduring a panic attack through the entire movie. I was just like, dude, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm I, I like, I like my movies to be good vibes, 
beautiful imagery. You know, it's why I like old Hollywood movies. This is a three hour long nightmare and it's not my cup of tea. And I think that prevented me from enjoying what is otherwise probably an artorist, uh, a complicated artorist work that deserves to be kind of, you know, picked apart uh, piece by piece, if that makes sense. Um, but I want to hear what you have to say about it. Cause I know you have a lot of appreciation for it and a, a lot of appreciation for all the different depths. So just, I'm clearing out the lane, man, go into it. Tell me what, tell me what you found so gripping uh, in this movie, because I'm pretty sure I probably missed it due to just being blinded by my own bias. Well, I don't know what he intended outside of the obvious. There, there's so many Easter eggs in this movie. There's so much shit going on. There's so much stuff on the walls. There's so much stuff in the sets. There's so much, there's so many gags in each, in each little vignette or whatever you want to call mm. it. So I'm going to say what I took away from it, opposed to it's like, what It's I, like a cursed Wes Anderson movie, almost. Yeah, no, no, that's a good way to put it, because you still yeah. get these really cool style, and you get some animation, and you get these long stories and everything, but it all, there, there, there is a through line outside of Bo that runs through it. But I, I will say this, this might be the most confounding movie I've seen since a certain Aronofsky movie where I'm willing to like die on the hill saying that it's brilliant. And that movie is mother. Mm. A movie I, think, I liked by the way. Yeah. I think mother is fantastic. I think it was misunderstood and should be reevaluated. I think this movie will a hundred percent find an audience and it will be reevaluated probably within the next five years. Mm. Because what I took away from it, not only did I immediately, cause I've, I've said this since I watched hereditary Ari Aster hates men and i don't mean that in like some political way i mean he loves to write stories about how men are tormented and i think it's hilarious Mm. because it happens in every one hereditary clearly the whole theme of hereditary is the male heir kind of thing the husband Mm. gets burned alive the kid gets cursed the 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 young the 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 boy the son then you've got midsommar which clearly has its own issues with how it treats the the male characters and then you have this where he is tormented, not just not just tormented, but by women for three hours. Mm. It is insane and hilarious, culminating in one of the most, which I will not spoil because you have to watch this movie if you have not seen it. One of the most incredible like turnarounds that I've ever seen in a movie with how it actually plays out to how you thought it would uh, with the great Parker Posey, which I was really surprised to see pop up in this movie. I didn't even know she was still acting. Um, mm. So so this movie kind of wraps up that trilogy in the most beautiful way. And if he does another movie about parents, about love, about, about curses that get carried down, any of that shit, it, it will irritate me because this movie, which I will not spoil once again, has such a great ending that really does just put the like the the nail is in the coffin it is done he ended it perfectly um it, this movie has so many things in it like for instance the end towards the end i'll say there's a great there's a whole great section that 100% reminded me of m uh with fritz lane uh it was it was beautiful it immediately made me think of that movie there are Wait, other which things 
uh, towards the end, I don't really want to give, I can tell you, I don't want to give any spoilers. Mm. Um, but it's, it's at the end. Um, you know, I say the end, but the end could theoretically be like the third act, which is an hour so long. like basically the trial, basically. Yeah. The trial. Okay. Um, so then you've got that you've got these elements of comedy and horror that are playing so beautifully together. He has said in the past, he's a big fan of Sil- Ari Aster. I mean, big fan of silent film, big fan of Jacques Tati. You can see that in some of his shorts as well. Um, but he really played with that. But by far the, the best, most magical section of the movie that I feel like could be taken several different ways is when he is watching the play mm. and you have his, this basically this whole life drawn out and then it ends so um, unceremoniously like just so, like uh, it's hard to explain because I really don't want to spoil anything but I took so much away from the like I love this movie so much that I feel like at some point we would have to do a spoiler episode just to kind of get into the weeds because there is uh there's a lot going on. I feel like people are getting hung up too much on Bo's anxiety when what I think in my personal interpretation, this is what it's like to live in the world in general. And then mm. it's only worsened by anxiety because the first 45 minutes of this movie, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, because sorry, I've been talking a lot, but um, th- there, I was struggling with believing that's what Bo was really seeing. Mm. Because sometimes we perceive the world in such a way because of what we're fed, 24-hour news cycles, social media, doom scrolling. So we can get the idea that if I go outside right now, I'm going to get fucking stabbed or shot or whatever the fuck you want to say. Um, especially in a big city like you live in. But typically that's not the case because we do live in America. I'm not talking about other countries. I'm talking about our country. And this made you believe that Bo was in peril at any given moment. It made you believe that everything was a pain in the ass. The dispatcher was an asshole to him. The, The handyman was like, you're so fucked. Like no one wanted to talk to him. No one wanted to help him. The guy almost called the cops on him because of a dollar seventy four in water bottle and, mm. and for a water bottle. So when when you watch it, I just got the idea that this is so surreal that I don't I'm not a hundred percent sure that was really happening. Mm. And that's one of, that's my favorite aspect about the movie. Like when it comes to to a theme, that's my favorite aspect is the fact that it is so surreal and it's so bizarre, especially when he props the door open. And what follows after that, I'm like, okay, at this point, I am struggling to believe this isn't just Bo's insane anxiety and paranoia. That is kind of an audience surrogate for how some people feel living in the world in 2023, now 2024. Mm, mm. I don't know. I've talked a lot. You can, you can. No, no, no. It's, it's better for you to talk about this than me, because I feel like you got a lot more out of this movie. And I, I do like what you're saying. I mean, you know, the opening, I, I think the opening really alienated me too, because like, and I think this may go along to kind of what you're saying. I like, I have nightmares that literally resemble the first 45 minutes of this movie. You know what I mean? Where I am in, st- I'm in New York and I'm, you know, like I have a, um, I have an app on my phone called citizen that sends me like crime alerts, you know? Um, and like that has to contribute to this paranoid feeling, even though like 
I live in a nice neighborhood. I can go out and walk around and I've, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no crime on the street around where I'm at. You know what I mean? But like, there's this perception that, that I live in this big, scary, dangerous city. And in some ways it is big, scary and dangerous compared to other places. But, you know, in general, it's fine. And the crime rate's pretty low for being eight from being like 9 million people who live here, you know, but I still have these dreams sometimes that basically are the exact opening 45 minutes of this movie where I'm like, you know, like running to get into my, you know, building and slamming the door shut. And I mean, I mean, when I lived, I lived in another place, um, in Morningside Heights here in New York, I, uh, like a, a, a bunch a, a group of guys ran past me uh to mug someone in front of me and i literally ran into my uh like building and called the cops you know so like i guess it's not that far off you know what i mean like like watching this i was like damn that's kind of what like you perceive life as in like a big scary city even though sometimes that's not reality um well, I mean, we do, we, we live in a world where these algorithms are designed to agitate. They're mm. designed to affect your mood. We have definitive proof that the Twitter algorithm is, is designed to show you stuff that's going to put you in a state of agitation, put you in a state mm-hmm. of paranoia. And I know that that's relatively low-hanging fruit for what the movie, for how long it is and how much it has in it. But that really is what grabbed me the most from a psychological perspective was how he handled that. Well, then let's um, just let's extend this conversation just a little bit, because, uh, you know, I'm just interested to, to know, I guess, what you think about it. Um, you know, the, the mother stuff really takes precedence in, say, the last 45 minutes or so, or maybe last half hour. I don't exactly know. But in between there, we get three different sections, one of them is the sex section which we which we we also touched on that so i guess maybe just touch on two sections um he he goes to amy ryan's house he gets rescued and he the the daughter drinks paint i mean i i'm i'm personally okay with spoiling this i mean it's like an hour in and happens pretty early on but the daughter drink the daughter drinking paint what is because like I was, I, I was in. Inter- I feel like I was interpreting the movie, not enjoying it, but able to interpret it. But then when that happens, I remember I was just like, "What? It, what is going on? Was that a, just a plot device, or was it a? Was it like a? Okay, you're safe here. Just kidding, bitch. You're not safe. You know. I don't know. Do you have any more elevated thoughts than on that than I do? Honestly, I mean, no. I, I have a different thought, but I wouldn't say it's more elevated. I I just thought that. When she when she does that, that was just another another situation that happens on Bo's Odyssey where the context is completely removed for him to be condemned. Very similar to what happens at the end of the film with with the trial. Oh, you're um, right. And and the third act, I mean, because like Amy no. Ryan goes in and she's like, get the fuck out. And then she sicks this fucking crazy ass fucking military guy who is just insane and amazing and she like six him on him like a crazy fucking dog but because she thought he murdered his her daughter the daughter she didn't give a fuck about so i do think there's more there i just can't i gotta watch it again i can't interpret it because the parents did not give a fuck it was it was just a case of caring about their son who died in the military and forgetting they have other children 
No, it's it's it, no. I think you're right. I, I don't I don't necessarily think there's some. You know, I don't want to get bogged down into being like, what is the Freudian reading of this, or what does it symbolize, or whatever. You know, sometimes, you know, you can really, I feel like, get off base with that shit. You know, so I, I don't mean necessarily interpret it in some kind of ultra deep way, but no, I think you're right. And even you saying the words "the trial," I mean, it's Joseph K, right? It's it's the yeah. Kafka story, right? It's it's he's he's it doesn't matter why, you know, the the girl drinking pain is kind of a insanely funny image when you think about it but like like it doesn't matter why the point is he's he's accused of doing something wrong and it's what what did i do wrong well nobody really knows but you just did it wrong you know what i mean it's that it's that kafka joseph k the trial it's it's that's the whole fucking movie um which is why when people say this is kafka-esque it's one of the few times where no, that's that you're right. You're correct. <laughs> this is Kafka ass. It really is. You know, you you rarely get to use that and actually it means something. And this in this case it does. Um okay, last thing, and I, I just cause I think I'm fascinated by what you have to say about this movie. Um say more about that middle part. Cause I'll just just for the listeners, I'm just gonna say Bo goes, he's running through the woods, <clears throat> he stumbles on like a theater troupe almost kind of like a magical theater troupe. Um, and they are performing a play and Bo is watching the play and he uh, he's watching the play and he just basically gets lost inside of the play. It's very similar to actually Asteroid City in that way. Um, but he gets lost in the play and then it, it just becomes very, uh, speaking of Kafka-esque, this one is Kaufman-esque, I think, Charlie Kaufman-esque. Oh, very um, much. Yeah. I thought I about know, say, him this whole movie. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, I don't know. Say more about that. What did you, what, I don't know. Say something more about that. Cause I, I watched it and I was like, this is incredible, but I don't even quite know why. Like when he, the further he gets in the play and the animation and some of it looks like a Van Gogh painting. And I really, really genuinely enjoyed that part, partly because we were getting a break from all the shit at the beginning, but also because it was just so, so beautiful it was stunning um yeah i don't know what say more about that what did you take away from that i mean i i, I cannot spoil the punchline because that would ruin oh sure yeah yeah. that yeah. would ruin the whole thing so so when when i watched this segment i actually i do something i rarely do anymore for some reason i did it more when i had a vcr more than i do now when it's so much easier to do but i i rewound it so I watched I watched that section and then I rewound it because I wanted to hear her narration again just mm. for that payoff, just to hear to, the scene when he's hugging them is just so glorious. And I'm trying like I'm like, OK, is this like. Does this represent life passing you by? Does this represent like seeing what could have been and then like sand through your fingers? Like, what is the deeper meaning here? And I watched it twice and I was just like, I don't. I don't think there is a deeper meaning. I think all this was just a really long segment to, to essentially troll, not the viewer per se, but Bo essentially Mm. like, because the movie hates Bo. Yeah. 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 It really does. And it's just, dude, Joaquin plays him so pathetically that it kind of breaks your heart, especially when he first finds out about his mom. Where it's like, man, I'm laughing at this shit that's happening to you. But at the same time, it's like, Jesus, man, like, I feel so bad for you. And I personally love the way Joaquin played it. Um, 
so so back to your original question i i don't i don't see it i could see it when i watch it again but I, i'm watching this segment and i just got caught so much in the punchline that i couldn't really like find anything deeper there outside of the normal shit of life passing you by and yada 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 see i didn't but see i didn't even think about that but i think you're right it's just another thing to put him through the movie hates him it's just another thing to put him through like hey you're gonna have this um you're gonna take this journey of self-discovery and self-knowledge through art right you, you through this beautiful work of art that you're gonna experience and then Nah, no, yeah, just kidding. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like, nah, just playing with you. I'm just fucking with you. Like, it, it, you're a piece of shit. And, you know, like, obviously, I'm not going to spoil the punchline either. But, like, it's, yeah, you're right. It's just another thing to put him through. Which is, and that's the same with the sex scene, too. I mean, it's 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 just another thing to put him through. You're finally, you're so happy for him. You're like, man, you know, shout out Bo, you know? And then like, well, yeah, I won't say anymore, but no, Dude, you're I'll, right. I'll, that, that sex scene is one of the funniest things that I've, that I've seen in a movie in recent memory. See, and I think that's, and just to kind of wrap up, I think that's that I, it wasn't that I didn't like the movie at all. I, I respect Ari Aster, man. Shout out for him getting this made. I mean, obviously all of this means something to somebody, but like for me, like I was watching the whole movie going, I'm Bo, I'm Bo, the world hate, <laughs> the world hates me. Like, you know what I mean? So like, I wasn't able to laugh at it as much. Cause I do think it is, it is like, I don't know, 60% comedy, 70%, you know? Oh yeah, man. This was like a, such a combination of like Cohen brothers meets Kaufman, you know, with with yeah. with a bunch of classic Hollywood kind of rolled in because yeah. Ari Aster has such a fucking massive movie brain in terms of what he can kind of dial up. Um, in my opinion, it's his most complex movie, and dare I say, it it might be his best. And I'm sorry for all you hereditary lovers out there. This is just my personal pick. Um, it may be his best movie. I don't know yet. I need to rewatch it. I mean, at the very least, it's a big fucking swing. And if you are not particularly uh, triggered by any of the specific content in this movie, uh, you will most likely uh, enjoy it, I would say. Um, or at the very least, be very intrigued by it because it is. Um, it's something, you know, like it, it's it's really something that he that he did this and pulled it off. And it, yeah, it's a singular work. Definitely. And just so you guys know, I'm going to throw it in the show notes. Did I already say this about the short films? I can't remember. No, no, no. You didn't tell. You okay. told me off off mic. Okay, that's where I got confused. Guys, I'm going to put the show note and the show notes. I'm going to put a link to all of Ari Aster's short films. He has seven of them, one of which is called Bo. And it is a five minute short, which is kind of funny that a five minute short with literal scenes out of the movie turns into a three hour movie. Um. Anyway. There is one called, I believe it's called There's Something Wrong with the Johnsons. The only clue I will give you for how disturbing it is, is this is this is triggering for some people, so fair warning right now, skip 30 seconds. Imagine a story where instead of what typically happens is the adult molest a child, like a dad to a son or an uncle to whatever, flip that, and that's the short. So the, the son, the son 
molest the father. It is one of the craziest, most disturbing shorts things I've ever seen. And frankly, I am disgusted <laughs> in a funny way that Aster was able to just make this and like get it funded. It's fucking bizarre. It is. It's not graphic or anything, obviously, but it is bizarre. Jesus, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Dude, he is insane. There's a couple of other ones, clearly, I won't go into for time, but it is just, you know, it'll take you about an hour and a half to watch all seven. It's worth it, but some of them are, uh, there's actually one called Munchausen as well that deals with, obviously, oh, that. Oh, Jesus, I already yeah. know. I'm not already skipping that one. <laughs> yeah, dude, so... Either way, I'll put that out there for any of you super, super fans of Ari Aster. Feel free to check it out. Link will be in the show notes. Um, God damn. Look, I want to talk about one that I loved and will 100% be on my top 10. And I have no idea how you felt about it because I did not want to ask. I wanted to wait so I could find out in front of our listeners. The Holdovers. Mm. What did you think? This could be what makes or breaks our podcast for this year. Just full transparency. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let me start out by saying, let me start out by saying, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm already mad. I'm literally <laughs> already getting mad. Let me start out by saying this. I, seven out of 10 for me. Okay. I'll just, I just, I want that to be very, very clear up front. Right. I thought it was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. But I couldn't, st- especially after we did that Alexander Payne episode and watching, rewatching some of his previous work, especially The Descendants and Nebraska, I cannot stop, I cannot help but think that this is somehow beneath him or that I expected more or, does that make sense? Like, it, like I, 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 uh, no, I, no, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's just like, I felt, I I just felt like there was just something off about this. Like we're going to have to chill with the Ozu comparisons for a while. I feel like, you know, between this and downsizing. Um, So, so he recovers from downsizing makes what arguably could be the best movie of his career that myself and many other uh, critics think, Uh, not that I'm calling myself a critic. I just wanted to sound fancy. And you, you say it's a seven out of 10 implying that it's on the same level as downsizing. Uh, no, I would say downsizing is worse than this. I mean, you know, it, it's, I, I, okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm, since I'm the bad guy here. You a hundred percent are the bad. Everyone loves this movie. Not just me. Everyone. I liked it. I liked it. I don't know. You know, uh, Okay. All right. The problems I had with the movie. I mean, there are nitpicks, I guess. I mean, I feel like he doesn't quite know what to do with the grieving mother storyline. I feel like that was kind of just like, just a part of the movie. And like, doesn't like, she's not, she's not given enough screen time to be like a main character, like, like Paul Giamatti and the student, but she's not really a supporting character because how does she really affect either of the other characters i guess um i don't know this feels like a movie that really is like a two-hander it's about these two guys you know and it feels like she her storyline is just kind of shoved in there so like that i feel like didn't um 
I thought her performance was great. I just feel like she wasn't given much to really do or say. Um, so that was that was one of them that kind of fell flat. I think it's too long. Two hours, 15 minutes, or 2.12, whatever it was. A little shaggy. Little take could have, could have used a little bit of a haircut. Um, I know you're just foaming at the mouth right now. Um, <laughs> uh, I, and the, the other things are like kind of nitpicks, but like the student... Dude, this guy's 21 in real life. He looks fucking 35. I like <laughs> Dominic Sessa? Dude, I mean, does he not look old? Like it not not actually old, but like I don't know. He looks like he was 30 to me. Like I don't I don't know. He looked a little long in the tooth to be playing this this role. I like he didn't I don't know. He didn't look like a schoolboy. He didn't look like he was 17 or 18. Um you know, I, I don't, I don't know, man. Giamatti's character was my favorite thing about this movie, and every time the camera wasn't on Giamatti, giving an amazing line reading or any of the other stuff he was doing, I was a little disappointed. I guess um, maybe that has to do with the fact that Giamatti's character is so well written and his performance is so amazing that everything else just kind of pales in comparison. You know, and maybe that's the case, but like. I don't know. I, I guess that's that's my take. Also, since I'm nitpicking and since you're probably having a stroke, the whole 70s thing, it's played out. The different logos and the fucking fake film grain, dude, come on. Like, I don't know. It's a little affected. I, I, I just expected more from Alexander Payne. I don't know. I thought it was a good movie, though. I enjoyed it. It's cozy. Cozy New England. Giamatti's character is amazing. Truly, a truly an incredible creation. Incredible writing. Incredible dialogue. But you know, the rest of it just kind of—I don't. It wouldn't even say it fell flat. It was just—it was just fine. You know. Uh, I will take a second to collect myself. Um, <laughs> it is—it is early in the year, people. It is early in the year when we are recording this, but but so far what you have just spewed out is the dumbest <laughs> thing I have heard this year. Um, oh boy. Okay. For, okay. So I'm going to say this uh, now, obviously that was a joke because this is your opinion, which I totally respect. Like this movie, I get it. I've talked to people who didn't like this movie as much as me. I understand all that. I will say this. David Hemmingson is going to win an Oscar for best original screenplay. That is almost a fact. Um, I, and, and, and honestly, if I had my way, uh, Divine Joy Randolph, who played the cafeteria worker, uh, would get nominated for Best Supporting because I thought she was the heart of this movie. I, I actually, I, re- I really do disagree with your assessment of her character. I think that she greatly affected Paul Giamatti's character. Um, and I thought they handled her storyline of grief uh, about as well as I don't think very few directors could have done what Alexander Payne did. There wasn't anything that was over the top. There wasn't anything that was an Oscar moment, so to speak. There wasn't anything where it's like, we're really going to milk this character. It was just like, I struggled with this shit during the holidays. Like you see me, like I've had some problems, but I, 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 I go on because it's life. And then she goes and she meets with her sister and she has this, whatever, which I don't think I don't think this is a movie that can be spoiled. But apologies mm. if that spoiled it in any way for anybody. It is streaming on Peacock for free right now, so check it out. Um, I thought Dominic Sessa, which is his first movie ever, by the way, which blows my fucking mind. Um, 
I thought yeah, he, I could tell he was. <laughs> I thought he was so great. I'm not even joking. Giamatti. I actually don't think he's good. Oh, I thought he was. Man, I thought he was so. I I, I don't know if he's good. See, I don't know if he's going to go on and do anything else. I don't know if he's going to be the next big thing, but I know for the script that David Hemmingson wrote, this guy nailed that character. Like reading that, if you read that character, this is the guy that would be in my head of how he should act, how he should talk. Um, I don't know, man. Giamatti stole the show. I would not be sad if he wins an Oscar for this. I, uh, I you know, I read the other day that that Alexander Payne wanted Giamatti to be the lead in downsizing, but there was a scheduling conflict or something. So Damon took it. I cannot help but think that would have caused this movie to not exist, at least with Giamatti in the lead. Hmm. Uh, so I'm very happy that that, that happened. Um, I don't know, man. I think this movie's pretty, pretty amazing. I think Alexander Payne is, is proven that he is back. He is uh, one of the best directors, best voices working today. I, I love this movie. I love everything about it. I get, I mean, I understand some of your nitpicks. I just can't agree with them or really, or, or, or kind of re, even really see them from my perspective. But that is the beauty of the art form. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. It sounds like some of the stuff that worked for you just didn't work for me. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, um... I don't know. I did like. I thought it was funny. You know. I mean. I did. I mean. I. I also liked most of the movie. You know what I mean. Like. I really. I really enjoyed it. But I just. I. I just. I don't know. I couldn't help but wondering. Like. Like you know that you know that state of like. Midwestern despair. <laughs> you know that we got it like Nebraska and somehow we brought it with them to Hawaii. I just didn't feel that. I didn't feel that utter and like that comic despair that we get from Alexander Payne, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, Jesus well, lives think, in your heart or he doesn't, you know, I didn't think there was a reason for some of that simply because he nails the anger and the isolation that this young man feels like in the movie. I mean, for, mm. for being left behind and the issues with his father and his mother. And I don't want to spoil that storyline. Cause that actually was a really interesting surprise in my opinion. Um, then you have Giamatti where it's like, yeah, he's an alcoholic. Yeah. He has some issues, but this is the seventies and everybody was an alcoholic. They just didn't know it. So right. it's like, there's not a lot like this man devoted his life to something that he has to wake up every day and, and kind of like use his intelligence as a shield to the fact that like when, when he runs into his buddy from Harvard, like he he's a teacher at a private school. That's all he is. And I'm not insulting. Right. I'm saying in the movie, that's all he is. Right. When you look at how prestigious, like he went to Harvard, like he, he, all this shit, like, so I don't know, man, I think it was there. It just wasn't as at written as deeply just because of the time period, which is why I do think making it in the seventies was kind of genius just because of the way certain storylines could play it out that wouldn't have worked if he had made this modern day for many reasons but specifically certain story beats and certain characters would not have worked yeah i mean that's true i mean i did like yeah <laughs> i did love that i mean there were actually i mean there are a lot of scenes i love you know i'm i was just i was just front loading the nitpicking because i assumed you were going to say all positive things um but yeah i mean I, I i i i like a lot about this movie that's such a great scene where where 
Well, the whole Boston trip is great. I mean, from beginning oh, to end. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this, that that was. I mean, for me, that was probably the best part of the movie. Um, also, there's a little bit of. Uh, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, so I, I'm not. I'm not. This isn't a criticism, but there's a little bit of um, expectation management with this movie because the trailer and stuff really doesn't tell you. Um, and I'm fine with saying this because if you haven't seen the movie, it's, I think it's fine. If you know this, the movie doesn't tell you that most of the movie is just these two guys, you know, like or the trailer, I I should say. And so I was set up expecting, you know, him to be there with these like loser kids the whole time and getting to know each one of them. And then they're kind of unceremoniously shuttled off and it's just them two, which like, I'm not even saying that was a bad story move, but like when I was watching it, I was just like, Oh, this is turning into something different than I thought it was going to be. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like, like I thought we were going to get to know all those weirdo kids and then it turns out they just, they're not. And it's just, Oh, this is just about them. Okay. Now I'm going to have to readjust expectations. I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It was just kind of a, a weird story beat, you know? Oh, well, I, I kind of, I kind of got the idea that it would just be them just based on certain scenes in the trailer. Uh, but I know mm. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, no, what I was going to say that that scene is so great when he's lying to his buddy, because it's like, wh- why are you lying? You know what I mean? Like, and I think, I think the kid even says that, like, why are you lying? Like, it's fine that you teach at that school. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> like you're, you're not lying because you've underachieved in life. You're lying because you're, you hate yourself. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. But- yeah. That's the thing. Like, cause I, cause like, I don't think it like, that's why I prefaced it with like, I don't think he, he did underachieve, but in his head, mm. considering he had kind of thought it would be greatness. He doesn't see that as what it is, which is why obviously he, he couldn't tell him, but also like Alexander Payne has said this in an interview, but, so I'm not stealing his whatever, but I think you can kind of tell you you watch as many movies as we do. You pick up on this kind of thing. That was such a great frame shot because he was above him. Mm. Like camera angles can do a lot in movies without really like without having to speak, which is the beauty of, of the camera. So like that whole scene was just really interesting. And, and in my opinion, the guy was kind of an asshole with the way he he like spoke to him when they were leaving like that. I just took it as like this patronizing. Oh, I'll keep a lookout for that book. Like, it's like, fuck off, dude. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> keep an eye for your book. Shut up. Leave me alone. Um. Yeah, no, I, I, I did like a lot about this movie. I mean, especially Giamatti's character. I mean, dude, the guy fucking quoting Latin and the scene in the museum was so good. And like, the, the the scene that I really liked where like the student was like, you know, if you put it like that, maybe people would pay more attention and be more interested in this class, you know? And like that kind of insight made me a little unhappy with how the movie ended because I really would have liked it if Giamatti, like his character would have just learned to be a better teacher and communicator. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, I don't know. I thought I, I, that that's another thing. I thought that's where it was going. You know what I mean? I thought the whole thing was going to be him easing up on the students and, and kind of caring more about them as opposed to letting his own insecurities uh, kind of rule the day and being such an asshole, you know, that, that that's why also the ending kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. Cause I was like, no, no, no. He just learned 
to be a better teacher? What what's happening here? You know, so I don't know, dude. I'm gonna have to disagree a little bit about about that because the the ending, like I don't want to spoil because I do think the ending can be spoiled a bit. Um, it wouldn't have it would have made no sense for him to continue on the path mm-hmm. he was on. It, you don't want to see the shackles that your your quote unquote protagonist is in remain on after the film like dude i like i i i i have this idea in my head of what the student went on to do to what paul giamatti's character went on to do like there's there's so much there like no so i i i will have to hard disagree on oh he should have just stayed and he became a better teacher and stuff like that i don't know man i don't i don't i don't like that idea at all yeah i don't know i just would have liked him to you know learn to be a better teacher but Listen, pal, life's hard, okay? And and Alexander Payne's here to tell you that this is just a slice of life, man. Rocky road out there. You know what I'm saying? I don't. Uh, we should probably move on, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Holdovers was a masterpiece. Uh, I'm offended. I'm angry. I'm hurt. Um, and whatever other words you want to throw in there that you didn't like this movie uh, very much. So. Mm. I liked it. I said I liked it. Yeah, that's not enough for me, though. <laughs> I just don't think um, it was a Alexander Payne masterpiece. It's a good movie. I enjoyed it. Well, let's wrap it up with our final one, Asteroid City from the great Wes Anderson. Uh, following a writer on his world-famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to a small rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event, only to have his worldview disrupted forever. Um, this movie was all right. <laughs> like, like I'm not joking. Like, dude, I literally, dude. Okay, look, I'll, I'll say this, like about Wes Anderson. I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, where is the Wes Anderson that gave us the Royal Tenenbaums? Where is the Wes Anderson that gave us? life aquatic dude i'm gonna say this before i throw it to you because i want to see what you think i do not mean this to be as mean as it's going to sound okay i need to say that up front (laughs) but Mm -hmm. this movie was so far up its own ass on certain things that i was just kind of i was kind of annoyed with it sometimes and then other times i was like god i love this dialogue God, I love this back and forth. Tom Hanks, Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, everybody's rocking their part. The kids are great. But other times I was like, you need to slow the fuck down. I swear to God, if you try to pull Inception with me one more fucking time, I'm going to lose my (laughs) shit about what's going on in this movie. (laughs) Do you agree or do you disagree? Like, obviously, with the night, I'm not not being as mean about it. But like, what do you think about that? Well, I do agree. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, right? I've, I've got, I've got kind of a grand theory of Wes Anderson. I'd like to briefly lay out, right? Okay. So I think the core moment for Wes Anderson uh, in all of his filmography, I think, and the key to understanding, not not, not the key to understanding Wes Anderson, but the uh, a scene that is emblematic of what exactly um, the power of his movies are, 
I think, is in the Royal Tenenbaums. Because, you know, Rushmore... Rushmore is re- and Bottle Rocket are really a, kind of a product of late '90s. I feel like he didn't really come into his own and making these like jewel box like movies uh, until the Royal Tenenbaums. Even though I I love Rushmore and well I love Bottle Rocket too, um, but the key moment that I'm thinking of is in the Royal Tenenbaums where we have this Wes Andersonized world of you know, upper middle class New York, right? Old New York. Um, and, you know, we get this uh, stylized dialogue. You know, Gene Hackman delivers it um, really brilliantly um, just to kind of start the movie off when he's like, I have cancer. And she starts crying. And he goes, no, no, I'm kidding. I don't have cancer. And she's like, why would you do that? And he's like, well, I I actually do have cancer. <laughs> like, like, Dude, let's just take a... a second to acknowledge that Gene Hackman is a god on screen. He oh, was dude. so good in that fucking movie, dude. Dude, I mean, especially going back when you think about it of like, like Wes Anderson is like just forming his kind of, you know, the first fully formed, fully Wes Anderson movie. And Gene Hackman is like, no problem, I got this. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, yes. I mean, oh, yeah. even just, oh yeah, no, okay, yeah, I see what you're going for here. I'll do that, and it's just perfect. Um, anyway, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I like, no, dude, yeah, I, I know it, the line you're talking about. Gene Hackman is just so fucking good, man. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's amazing. But um, anyways, uh. The line in the movie is where Jason Schwartzman, not Jason Schwartzman, where Ben Stiller uh, says, it's been a rough year, right? And I think that line hits like a ton of bricks. And the reason why it hits like a ton of bricks is because you're getting all this artifice, right? You're getting the the complicated sets you're getting the go Mordecai you're getting you're getting all these baubles right all these little tricks and gimmicks and doodads and all this different stuff you're getting the Beatles song and you're getting you know you're getting all this little little candy like little bits of candy cinematic candy that you're feasting your eyes on right and what he's doing throughout all of that he's sneaking in uh sentiment and character and uh, you know, family lore, and uh, he, he's building a story, even though it doesn't seem like it. He's he's building a a real house out of out of you know uh, uh out of out of warheads, right? He he's building a he's building something real and substantial out of things that seem like they're just you know cinematic eye candy, right? So when Ben Stiller says it's been a rough year, that shit hits you right in the chest. And you don't expect it to, because you think you've just been watching, you know, a funny little quirky comedy, right? And the exact same thing is true with the ending of Steve Zissou. You get all these little different bobbles and doodads, and there's the guy singing David Bowie in different language, and, you know, all this other little tricks and quirky shit. And then at the end, Bill Murray rips your heart out, right? Now, what I think is happening with Wes Anderson, and this is going back to 
post Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm not going to include Grand Budapest Hotel in this. I'm going to include Isle of Dogs, French Dispatch, Asteroid City, right? That's so a good basic- cutoff. Oddly enough, I use that same cutoff for like the last Wes Anderson movie I really loved was that, was the, was the Grand Hotel. Grand Budapest it, it's Hotel. the last movie that I think that has a lot of heart to it just inherently, right? Yeah, yeah. The last three movies have been really heavy on the bobbles and the tricks and less heavy on the sentiment, right? Um, Isle of Dogs is is clearly, you know, his fascination with um, Japan and his, his love of dogs, right? Um, the French Dispatch is obviously about his love for uh, the New Yorker, basically, but also kind of mid-century American literary culture. Right. And then Asteroid City is also a film about mid-century culture, but just focused on the science fiction stuff, the whole space age stuff, um, and also the Southwest. But it also is about his love of the American stage. Right. Edward Norton is basically playing Tennessee Williams here. Right. And the the um, the acting studio that he goes to to cast this play is you know, basically the beginning of method acting, right? I mean, it, it's basically, um, you know, Stanislavski school in New York, right? Um, so I guess what I'm saying is the sentiment has become more buried in his films and the baubles and tricks and cinematic treats that we get have gotten more and more elaborate, right? Um what do we make of that? Do you think it's a bad thing? Because I know I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think if you say that to somebody, if you if you spell that out for them, you'll go, well, yeah, he's he's less hard and more more tricks and more gimmicks and stuff. But dude, when the tricks and gimmicks are this fucking good, I can't complain. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I agree. I, I can't complain because like this movie, like I said, it 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 put me in state in states of annoyance. And I was like, you know, what the fuck is this? Especially when like they introduced the next layer with Adrian mm-hmm. Brody's character. I was just like, I'm fucking done with this. Like, right. but the movie pulls you back in with this charm. It's beautiful. Asteroid city is gorgeous, man. This movie is so well shot. It's all the shit that we have come to expect from a Wes Anderson movie. And just like last year, when we talked about the French dispatch, People can talk shit and say this and all that, but it's like, since when is it fucking bad to have your own style and not just have a style, but have a style that you do so perfectly? Like, mm-hmm. like his style is fine. If anything, it's gotten better. Like, I, like, I agree with you that it's the substance that has started to suffer, mm-hmm. but his style is still beautiful. Like he, he is, he is really honed in. This is, this movie was fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Like, and the charm of the kids really helped it. There was there was a little bit of tragedy mixed in, but it was always undercut with like a gag or a bit. And like just like you just said, there's no, there was no uh, real gut punch the way we used to get. Because mm. like to to me, that gut punch is in Life Aquatic. There's a couple yeah. of scenes that can really break your heart in that movie. You don't get those scenes anymore. You did, however, get them in Grand Budapest Hotel. That is the last real like strong heart kind of punch you in the gut kind of movie he's done. Right. I think it's there. And I think it, I think that the theory holds too, because you look at, you know, Darjeeling limited. I know people don't like that movie, but it does have a lot of heart. Fantastic. Mr. Fox is 
is has a lot of heart. You know, you would think that would be the perfect movie for him to go all artifice, but it's not at all. And of course, Moonrise Kingdom is is you know, there's a lot of sentiment in that. But I, I think you're right. I think that is the cutoff. I mean, I will say this though, with with the narrative nesting dolls and a couple of I want I want to throw a couple of things out there. One of them is Isle of Dogs is animated, right? Uh, so that's like, you know, that's one step removed from kind of the sentiment because it's, you know, it's a trick. We got all these animatronic dogs and they're cute and whatever. Um, but also, uh, also, um, uh, French dispatch is literally an anthology film, right? So I, I, what I'm saying by this is I think Wes Anderson knows that he's putting less sentiment in these movies, right? It'd be one thing if there was a moment of heavy hitting uh, emotion and it's just that moment didn't fully uh, land, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think there just, I just don't think there is a whole lot of sentiment. Like in this movie, we don't get a lot of scenes. You know, the best, I think one of the best scenes in the movie is where uh, he goes up, where the actor goes out and stands on the balcony and talks to Margot Robbie's character. That is a good and scene. Yeah. It's such a great scene because you think it's going to be this impactful scene, but it's not because we are we are 10 miles away, right? I mean, we're not in the world of Asteroid City, and they're not even reciting their lines to each other. She's reciting both of their lines. So, like, there is no sentiment to it. And then he goes, yeah, that would have been good if we did it, and then goes back in, which is <laughs> really funny. Like... <laughs> And like, I think that's part of the ethos of this movie, which is one of the reasons why I liked it so much because, and, and it's built into the movie because remember when they're, when, when the actor is talking about the movie, he's talking to Adrian Brody, the director, he's like, I'm not getting this play. What is there to get from this? What is the, I'm not getting it. And he's like, well, just, you know, sometimes there isn't anything to get, you know? And I also think, and I don't think this is a reach at all. I think this is a good COVID movie. I think this movie is very much about COVID. I mean, quarantine is a huge plot point. And, or I should say the play in the play, Asteroid City. Uh, quarantine is a huge plot point. And it's about this event, this crazy event that happens to all these characters. And then nothing really changes. You know what I mean? Like it's, Nobody has any grand realizations, you know, um, Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson's character don't fall in love. You know, she leaves him her PO box address, you know, like it, nothing really happens. Nothing really changes. Everybody just kind of moves on with their lives just like they were doing beforehand. And like, I think that's, I think that's, uh, like COVID shit. Yeah, I really do. I think it's like, yeah, this affected a lot of people, but what do we really make of it? What does it all mean? The answer is, man, sometimes it just, nothing means shit. Something You don't know why the alien comes down. You don't know, and you didn't get any meaning or any purpose in life from COVID, man, just wild shit happens, you know? Um, I don't know. Am I reading too much into that? What do you think? No, I don't think so. I, I think that's a really good assessment and I hadn't really thought about it, but as soon as you said it, I was like, oh shit, that did, that does add up, man. And, mm. uh, <laughs> My favorite, when you were talking about the the scene on the the stage or, or when they're on the platform balcony, uh, it reminded me what uh, my favorite scene was really quick, but 
when the son goes over to the dad and he's like, you were thinking about abandoning us, weren't you? And he's like, yes, I was. And he's like, well, I'm not anymore. <laughs> Dude, those kids, man, those, those little girls were fucking hilarious. The son was hilarious. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of shit to love about this movie. And I do think your COVID assessment is really interesting. And honestly, it kind of changes the perspective a bit of the film. Um, this is by no means a bad movie. This is one of those weird ones to talk about where it sounds like, especially in the beginning, I don't like it, but I did. It just didn't do it for me. Just like the French dispatch kind of missed that mark for me. But man, if this is a bad movie, like if this is a movie like that, that, that doesn't click for me, sign me up any day because yeah. it's still fucking, it's still fucking great, dude. Yeah, I mean, also like a lot of your mileage for this, because you know, if Wes Anderson is kind of retreating away from any kind of hardcore sentiment and really leaning into the artifice and everything, a lot of it is going to depend on your particular affinity for the world of that artifice. You know what I mean? If you if you love mid century Americana, buddy, do I have a movie for you? You know, this movie is dripping with it, like it. You know, but just the martini machine. I mean, just come on, man. Like this is like this is yes, this is not the sentiment that existed in Royal Tenenbaums and in Steve Zissou. But like, how can you complain when there's when there's a martini machine in a movie? Like, oh, also, you saying that reminded me of this. Shout out to Steve Carell, man. He was so good in this. <laughs> so his delivery was spot on. Yeah. Every time he asked somebody what their juice preference was and followed it up, it was so it was so good. Yeah, yeah, and and the visual gags, the burn down, the burn down little cabin that becomes the tent, you know, and oh man, it's just it really is all the little bits and bobbles, like they're just they're just great. They're and honestly, mostly I mean, talk speaking of Jacques Tati, I mean, the visual gags are just all over the place, you know. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love when he opens the window and Scarlett Johansson is laying in the tub, and it looks like she's killed herself, but oh, she's yeah. just rehearsing yeah. for a scene. You know, there's all kinds of fun, like shit like that. So, um, yeah, I, I love this stuff. Um, yeah, man, it was it, just th- th- there was so much charm to it, but this was de- this is a prime example, as we already pointed out, of style over substance because it just mm. really it just kind of missed that mark for me. But if you're wondering if you should watch it or anything like, yeah, of course you should, because it's Wes Anderson and he doesn't really make bad movies. That's just yeah, not what miss. he does. So, right. What about, um, you know, I know we mentioned off pod, we might need to cut off past lives, but dude, I don't have a lot to say about past lives. I mean, I think we can probably, we can probably mention it a little bit. Um, and you said you had similar sentiments to asteroid city. What did you think about past lives? Man, Past Lives was a huge promise that the film could not keep and honestly mm. didn't even seem to try to keep. Like, oh, I like if, that take. Yeah. If they even if if they could have there's two. Now, mind you, I'm a sucker for this, so I'm a bit biased. There's two great scenes in this movie where if you could have if you could have matched those shots. And the first one is when they meet each other for the first time as adults and they instantly show that flashback to where they're those two kids playing on the on the device mm-hmm. outside in the park. And then the scene that really got me, even though it shouldn't have, because the movie was completely ineffectual when it came to most of this because of how poorly it was it was paced, how poorly it was 
Like, I, I don't know. And this movie got a lot of love. I don't get it. But the scene at the end, which is not a spoiler, like clearly if you've seen the trailer, I won't say what happens in the scene, but I'll say they do the same thing with a callback to a previous scene. And mm. it's beautiful. And it really hit. But then after I got over it, after this this moment of being you know, a normal human and being sad at this past, I was like, why the fuck did that work? Because the movie did it, the movie planted the seeds, but just just forgot to water anything. You know, um, it just didn't work for me, man. A lot of it didn't work for me that the, the, the front half was so rushed and so loaded. Fucking 24 years after. Oh, 12 years. OK, then more. Another 12. Oh, OK, well, she's married now. Okay, well, he he's broke up with his girlfriend. Oh, he's going to New York. Oh, none of that shit added up for me. Like, and this movie should have fucking worked. This movie should have worked on pretty much every level, but it didn't. I'll say this: I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you, but with one major caveat. But just to briefly say, if you guys don't know about past lives, it's about um, uh, uh, two uh, a Korean man and a Korean woman who are you know, friends, uh, friends in their childhood when they're like 12 years old. And then they, um, they, uh, one of them immigrates to the United States and the other one doesn't. And then they're reunited after, um, you know, 24 years, Jesus Christ. That's a long time. Um, I agree with you the whole movie. I was like, this is not living up to the hype. Like I was expecting, I was expecting Wong Kar Wai. I was expecting in the mood for love, which, lofty expectations right that that's on me that one might be on me um but you know a lot of people are are talking about how great this movie is um but then the ending hit me like a ton of bricks is not even the word it hit me like the empire state building swung into my bedroom and and knocked me into the next continent but they didn't earn it dude they didn't earn it well but but like that was kind of a puzzle for me because i was like I felt that too. I felt like they didn't earn it, but I mean, if I'm fucking crying, clearly they did. Right. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? They got the reaction they were wanting. And I didn't know, like, I guess what I'm saying is like, I didn't know they were planting the seeds, but it turns out those seeds were planted because, you know, I was waterworks at the end of that movie. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. It felt like cheap tricks. It felt like that. I, they, I, like, dude, it worked. Clearly, it was effective. Like I said, it caught me for a minute. But for the most part, man, they they did not. They they did. They dropped certain information that would lead you to believe. OK, well, then you should go with him. Because they just right. tell you for no reason during the exposition dump when they're laying on the bed her she's laying with her husband. Oh, we met here. That could have been anybody. We just happen to both live in New York. Then we move in together, blah, blah, blah. We get married for a green card. Like, I'm not spoiling anything. That's just, that's something that happens in the movie. It's pretty inconsequential, honestly. Um, Mm -hmm. That should have meant something more. It's like, oh, okay. Well, over here, you've got something that reminds you of home. Something that reminds, like, there was obviously more at work than typical nostalgia. Of, of course you fucking feel good about this because it reminds you of when you were young and everyone for the most part wants to be reminded of when they were younger. Mm-hmm, but there mm-hmm. was more than that. There was something soulful. There was something there. There was something about this past lives connection. And I feel like the movie sold me a bill of false goods. But see, here's, here's my counter. Here's my, here's my counter. And that's, that's the last thing else I'll say. We'll wrap up after this. 
my counter is that the thing that makes the movie so devastating, right? Because the movie is never in doubt about who she's going to end up with. Not for a second. I don't think, right? Like, I don't think you're ever in doubt that she is going to leave her life and, and, and that she's going to leave her life and go after this guy. Right. I don't think that's ever in question throughout the whole movie. Yeah. But I think the emotional impact of it comes from the fact that there was potential for something beautiful and that never got explored. Right. It, it, it never got explored for one reason at age 12. It never got explored for another reason at age 24. And it never got explored for another reason at age 36. Right. And that I think was the true tragedy of it. I don't even want to say tragedy. It's just sad. Not even a tragedy. It's just something sad that happened. And so in a way, I think that's kind of the point in a way that this never got explored. And that that's what I was. I wasn't sad. She didn't end up with that guy. I don't even fucking know that guy. I watched the whole movie. I didn't even know him. Right. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know shit about that guy. Frankly, I don't know shit about her, but it was the, the unexplored nature of it. That's what's sad is the fact that this could have been this beautiful love story. And it wasn't not, 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 not because of any great tragedy, not because of, you know, so-and-so didn't love so-and-so. No, just because just fucking life happens. And that's just how things go sometimes. And that fact, that was what was devastating to me. No, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I don't see it that way. The movie kind of lost me. I expected big things. I've been looking forward to this movie. I thought it was going to be great. I, I, it fell short, did not do for me what I was hoping it would do. And, um, I was very disappointed. I'm being honest. I mean, I will give you that the movie definitely is the marketing is doing it. No favors. It is being sold as a bill of goods that it certainly is not, but boy, was I fucking wrecked. (laughs) Like, (laughs) man, I was a mess when I finished this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know, folks. If you you if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of this movie. You've probably already seen it and made up your mind. But if you haven't, you know, watch it. Everybody's talking about it at the end of the year. Uh, watch it and let us know what you think. Yeah, I mean, I can't even say that it's not worth watching. Clearly, because it is. It's a competent movie. It's well made and all that. But it it did not work for me. I uh, yeah, like I said, I was just disappointed. But yeah, definitely check it out, man. You can rent it on Amazon. Sure, you can stream it somewhere for free if you have that service, but yeah. I don't know, man. For the most part, it doesn't matter how I really felt about this. Like, I liked all the movies we watched. Like, this this really was a strong it's a strong year for movies, and this is just the beginning. We got a lot more coming later this month, so I'm pretty mm. excited. Yeah, very excited. We got a lot more coming. Good year for movies. Not every year is a good mo- year for movies, but some, you know, some years really are, so... uh yeah, stick around, tune back in. We got a lot a lot more cool shit to talk about from the year that was. Yeah, so guys, hope you enjoyed this. Any new listeners joining us for 2024, welcome. Uh, please leave a review wherever you listen, Spotify, iTunes, whatever app you use. It really helps feed the algorithm. Tell your friends, if you have anybody that loves movies, uh, wants to hear two guys bullshit about them, tell them to check us out. Give us a shot. But outside of that, um, do you have anything to add before we get out of here? Nah, man, let's wrap it up. 
Hey guys, thanks for stopping by the Silver Screen video, and we will see you next week.